Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Welcome to the Bread of the Word podcast, a podcast striving to feast on God's Word and let the Bible speak to us all. Let us, as a former generation said, go ad fontes to the fountain and be nourished and sustained by all that God is. Let's dig in together. Well, hello and welcome back to the Bread of the Word podcast where we go ad fontes to the fountain, to the Word of God, to be nourished and sustained by all that God is as he has revealed himself to us. My name is Tyler, I'm your host, and we are back from the Laborers Conference 2023. It was a wonderful experience getting together with the other guys from the Truth and Love Network. We will be uh, getting together for the Laborers podcast um, at the time this release, it'll be this past Thursday, to kind of rehash our experiences at the conference and talk about next steps and what uh, the future looks like for the network. So definitely check that out. But we are back with Song of Solomon. And we have officially crossed the halfway point of the book. We are going to do all of chapter 4 today, which is a bigger body of text than we've done in, in uh, previous installments. But uh, the, the word pictures here, I felt it would do the best justice to them to take it as a block. And so we are going to kind of labor through it. Um, so this might be a little bit longer than some of the episodes have been. We've been around 20, 30 minutes at most. So it might be a little bit longer, but we're going to cover all of Chapter 4 today. And this is, this is a bit of a delicate passage, because this is the point in the Song of Solomon where we tend to get very uncomfortable. And this is where we get some of the very distinct language. Um, just to start reading, How beautiful you are, my darling, how very beautiful. Behind your veil your eyes are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats streaming down Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of newly shorn sheep coming up from washing, each one bearing twins, and none has lost his young. Your lips are like a scarlet cord, and your mouth is lovely. Behind your veil, your brow is like a slice of pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, constructed in layers. A thousand shields are hung on it, all of them shields of warriors. Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that feed among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will make my way to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. You are absolutely beautiful, my darling. There is no imperfection in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the peak of Amana, from the summit of Sinir and Hermon, from the dens of the lions, from the mountains of the leopards. You have captured my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captured my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. 
How delightful! Your caresses are, my sister, my bride. Your caresses are much better than wine, and the fragrance of your perfume than any balsam. Your lips drip sweetness like the honeycomb, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. My sister, my bride, you are a locked garden, a locked garden in a sealed spring. Your branches are a paradise of pomegranates with choicest fruits, henna with nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the best spices. You are a garden spring, a well of flowing water streaming from Lebanon. That's all been the man. Now we get the words of the woman. Awaken, north wind. Come, south wind, blow on my garden, and spread the fragrance of its spices. Let my love come to his garden, and eat its choicest fruits. So, this is where it gets weird for us as 21st century Christians. This is where it gets a little hot under the collar. This is the, the part of Song of Solomon we don't like <clears throat> to, uh, to discuss. And I... Um, in light of the Labor's Conference, um, Jonathan Foster, one of the members of the network, actually preached on God's design for the home, especially in, the, the res in respect to marriage. And I think he had some very pointed things to say on that that tie into this right here. So I've got a clip that I'm going to play right here. But check out the rest of the guys from the, the Truth and Love Network. Great content, great diverse group of brothers. Um, we get together Thursdays to sharpen and be sharpened by each other. But let's see what Jonathan has to say concerning marriage. There's not nothing to be ashamed of. In that. There's nothing undefiled in the marriage. Bed. There's, there's nothing gross about that. That's a beautiful and wonderful thing, and it's absolutely normal. I can remember, and I'm embarrassed my wife a little bit, but she gets over it, right? Without being weird, I got two kids, so you know it's happened at least twice, right? And then my kids were like, Dad! Hey, praise the Lord. The Bible tells us very plainly not to withhold this in marriage. Except for like, Intentional fasting and prayer. Don't withhold this from one another. This is God's design. Go back. You're fit together. Normal. Not embarrassing. I can remember what I was going to embarrass my wife about was the day we got married, we were both virgins. And we had this little horse carriage thing that was going to take us over to our car. And we're going out to get in the horse buggy, and her dad is standing right there. And he's looking at me with tears, and I thought, he knows exactly what we're fixing to do. I've already told my daughter how I feel about that. One day I will give her away, and she had better make a man very happy, but until then she's mine. Right? You with me? Now why is it funny? Why is it funny? Because it's become a normal to talk about God's design. Even among the church. It's weird and it's awkward and it's funny and it's silly. 
We should laugh a little bit. We should also probably cry. Because you want to know who's teaching our young people about sex? You want to know who's teaching our young people about sexuality? You wonder why they're so confused? Because Christian parents have lost the reality of how to teach your children the reality of God's design. You asked me a second ago, how do I feel about this with my daughter? Now look, don't counsel the way I counsel all the time. But I told my daughter the other day, we had a very serious conversation and she would crawl under the pew. She knew I was talking about this so nobody would say nothing to her, right? I doubt it. She got the kids. But I told her, I said, baby, because there's these few boys that's been liking her and this kind of stuff. I said, I want you to know there's nothing that I wouldn't do to protect you. Nothing. That's a pretty serious statement, but I meant it. There's no length that I wouldn't go to protect her. And I said, there will come a day that you will be married and you will have sex. And I use those exact words. And I said, and I hope you have lots of sex and wonderful sex. And you're like, oh my gosh, Pastor, you said that? Yes. Because I was raised up in a generation that this is a no-no. This is shameful. This is not, oh, no, 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 no. And then you get married and then within a 10-minute hour session, you're supposed to be like rock stars within the next night. How do you, I mean, we had purity rings. We had all this kind of stuff. And it was no, 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 no. Never, 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 never. Listen to me, young people. God's design is for you to flourish in this. But you will only flourish if you do it His way. Nothing shameful about it. We should be very plain about it that this is right inside the family. You with me? This is right. Biblical. And the enemy has attacked the family through sexuality. Through making it weird. Making it uncomfortable. I don't care how uncomfortable it is. I'm going to talk to my kids about it. And now John Luke don't even care no more, right? <laughs> he don't even, he's still like, Dad, you know, I'm just kidding. So in light of that, yeah, it's a very good question. Why is this weird? Why has intimacy, why has sex, to use the, the, the vernacular of the day, why has this become so weird? Why is this a something that makes us giggle? Why is this something that we get weirded out by? This is God's design. How have we gotten so far away from that? Um, just to re refer to Genesis 2. When it says, Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. And while this book, the Song of Solomon, is not just about marriage, the marriage illustration is certainly present. That it's, it's a word picture. That ultimately this paints for us a picture of Christ and his church. But it's done through the lens of of marriage, of intimacy with a with a man and a woman, because we are the bride of Christ.
And so it starts off, How beautiful you are, my darling. How very beautiful. Behind your veil, your eyes are doves. And so we've got two of the, the man's key phrases of endearments that we've seen in this book so far. Darling and dove. He uses them both here, but this is an expression of the beauty he sees in his bride. You are very beautiful. Behind your veil, your eyes are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats streaming down Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of newly shorn sheep coming up from washing, each one bearing twins, and none has lost its young. That's some weird imagery. That's not how people talk in the notebook. That's not how modern romance novels and movies and whatever, this is not how they talk. But what is being conveyed here with with goats and sheep and teeth? They're white. I think this text best is accompanied by Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. So again, we've got that word picture. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church, and gave himself for her. For what purpose? To make her holy, cleansing her, with the washing of water by the word. And that word washing um, is borrowed from the Septuagint rendering of this text in Song of Solomon with the sheep that have come from washing. And so the purpose of marriage from the husband's perspective is to make her holy not because he is interceding for her or because he has the power to sanctify her but that by entering in that into that union with him she will be further sanctified that the end result of marriage is sanctification is a further beckoning deeper into the heart of Christ and so Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. And he did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Back to Song of Solomon. <clears throat> Your teeth are like a flock of newly shorn sheep coming from washing, each one bearing twins, and none has lost his, lost his young. There is, there is completeness, there is purity, there is beauty that God sees in his church. Your lips are like a scarlet cord, and your mouth is lovely. Some of this is language we see the woman applying to the man in chapter 1. If we just take a step back here, look at chapter 1. Oh, that he would kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your caresses are more delightful than wine. That's from the woman to the man, but now he is taking some of that language, Christ is, and applying it to what he sees in his bride. Your brow is like a slice of pomegranate. This is, is beauty, it's purity, it's... But again, it, it points to nature, which, 
that points us honestly back to Genesis with the th way things naturally were. We're, t we're talking about a love that is so pure, so undefiled by the world that it is in some ways natural. This is what is natural. God brings us back to how things should have been. The love of God takes us back to the garden, characterized by sheep, pomegranate, animals, plants. The love of God brings us home. Your neck is like the Tower of David, constructed in layers. A thousand shields are hung on it. Now we have a bit of a transition here, that this isn't just a picture of beauty, but this is also a picture of God's protection, of his sovereignty. Because you have a tower, but it's a tower that is lined with shields. <clears throat> Psalm 144 verse 1 says, Blessed be the Lord my strength, who trains my hands for war, and my fingers to fight. Psalm 3.3 says, You, O Lord, are my shield, and the lifter of my head. This is a, this is a picture of God's protection of his bride, that she is armored. Not by her own virtue, not by her own resources, but she is shielded by the husband. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, um, especially in the Old Testament, is, I love the book of Ecclesiastes, I do. And one of my favorite bits in the Old Testament is Ecclesiastes 7.13, Consider the work of God. For who can straighten out what he has made crooked? That's a that's a strange text um, in light in relation to this. But the the picture there is that God is ultimately sovereign over how things are. So when it comes to things that are difficult, God is sovereign in the difficulty. When it comes to things being easy, God is sovereign in how easy they are. That that everything is ultimately flowing out of his sovereignty. That God is upholding his creation fully, completely, and entirely. And so he shields his bride. She is protected. <clears throat> then we get back to um, something a bit more intimate. Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that feed among the lilies. And again, this is language that we've seen the woman using of the man of the, the church woman applying to Christ. He feedeth among the lilies. And so what, what we're seeing here is further fleshing out of this, this theme of union and communion with Christ. To where what she was saying what was what she was saying about him, he is saying about her. That there's this back and forth movement going on now. that she is like the, the gazelles that feed among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the f shadows flee, I, being the, the husband, will make my way to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. These are oils, of course. But the, we talked about this um, a couple weeks ago, actually. These are recurring elements in Song of Solomon is frankincense and myrrh. And that points us to sacrifice. It points us to the incense. 
it, it points us to the sacrificial death of Christ as well as his birth, but all of who Christ is. I will make my way to the mountain of sacrifice until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Because, because when Christ died for sin, it says that the, the darkness fell, that the sun grew dark. But when it was finished, te teleste, the day broke. The sun rose. When Christ arose, so did the sun. And the shadows flee. Why? Because it is finished. It is accomplished. Christ has accomplished what he set out to do by dying on the cross to reconcile us to himself. That he may present us as a pure, undefiled church to himself, without spot or wrinkle. In verse 7, you are absolutely beautiful, my darling. There is no imperfection in you. This is a picture of the imputed righteousness of Christ. You are absolutely beautiful. There is no imperfection in you. Which harkens back to verse 1. How beautiful you are, my darling. How very beautiful. We're bookended by that. This is how God sees us, not because it exists in us, but because God has counted us this way. And now we are being brought to a place where we begin to resemble that. And we call that sanctification, which is going from being declared righteous to gradually, slowly, progressively becoming what God sees. We begin to bear that resemblance. But he made him to be no sin, to be sin who knew no sin. Why? So that we would become the righteousness of God. That God gave us his righteousness. We are clothed in God's righteousness, just as Adam and Eve were clothed in the garden. When we go to Genesis 3, we have the fall. They eat the fruit, they doubt the word of God, they become knowledgeable of both good and evil, and they hide from God, they hide from each other, they cover their shame and their nakedness with, with leaves. In verse 20, the man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife. And he clothed them. So God killed an animal and, clothed, and made skins for Adam and Eve and clothed them. That he provided the covering for their shame. And likewise... God has provided the clothing for our sin, our sin and our shame through the righteousness of Christ so that you are absolutely beautiful, my darling. There is no imperfection in you. Verse 8, Come with me from Lebanon. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the peak of Amanda, from the summit of Sinir and Hermon, from the dens of the lions, from the mountains of the leopards. 
Come near. Come near to God. Enjoy the fellowship with God that was purchased by Christ with his blood. Verse 9, you have captured my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captured my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful your caresses are, my sister, my bride. Your caresses are much better than wine. Because God delights in knowing us. It says in Amos, you only have I known out of all the nations of the earth. Speaking of Israel. But Israel and the church are one. They are all the people of God. And God has known us. And he is delighted to know us. He didn't need us. But he was delighted to know us. To have communion with us. To fellowship with us. So much so that he likens his relationship to us as though it is marriage. If we flip over to Jeremiah 31. I'm completely skipping over it. Jeremiah 31, 33. Sorry, 32. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master. Otherwise, it can be translated as husband. Though I am their husband, because it's a marriage covenant. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. One of the cries of the Song of Solomon is, My beloved, I am my beloved. I am his, and he is mine. My beloved is is mine, and I am his. I will be their, their God, and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration. For I will forgive their iniquity, and never again remember in their sin. This is what the Lord says, the one who gives the sun for light by day, that fixed order of moon and stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea and makes its waves roar. The Lord of armies is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, this is the Lord's declaration. Only then will Israel's descendants cease to be a nation before me forever. This is what the Lord says, only if the heavens above can be measured and the fountains, foundations of the earth below explored, will I reject all of Israel's descendants because all they have done. This is the Lord's declaration. <clears throat> God relates to his people as though in marriage. We are wedded to Christ in the gospel. And God is delighted 
by that union. So much so that it is typified through marriage. That we are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. We are united with him. Union and communion is ours in Christ. Verse 11. Your lips drip sweetness like the honeycomb, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. This is Old Testament language, verbatim. Sweetness like the honeycomb. Points us to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm 19, verse 10. Verse 9, sorry. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey, dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them there is an abundant reward. God promised Moses to lead his people into a land that was flowing with milk and honey. It was a promised rest. And Hebrews 4 tells us that we who believe in Jesus enter into that rest. That the, the land of milk and honey was, again, a word picture that points us to the rest that is in Christ. And the fragrance of your garments. The fragrance points us to the pleasing aroma before the Lord that we see in Leviticus that the worship of God is a pleasing aroma. It says in, I believe, Second Chronicles that we are the aroma. We are the incense. And so all of this Old Testament language ultimately culminates in the union of Christ with his church. That all these, all these pictures between the promised land and the incense and the language of the Psalms, it all comes to fruition with God present, in Christ presenting to himself a sanctified church, a beautified church. Back to Ephesians 5. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. Since we are members of his body. And then Paul quotes Genesis 2. For this reason, a man may leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And oftentimes, we think the, the mystery is marriage. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. That the glorious mystery that is conveyed through marriage is the gospel. That marriage is... At the end of the day, marriage is an object lesson that illustrates for us the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm saying this as an unmarried man with no prospects. 
I can't speak as much to the application of that, to the day-to-day -day rhythms of that. But I can tell you what the Bible says. I can show you where, where the poetic pieces are. This is how God speaks. Is he speaks to us within this marriage imagery. We are the bride of Christ. My beloved is mine, and I am his. I am bone of his bone, and flesh of his flesh. And that is not because of my own virtue, my own deservingness, but only from the riches of his grace. And when I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Verse 12, my sister, my bride. And that's not a literal sister, but that is, again, that is a unity language. That's how um, they talked in, uh, in that Jewish context. Because she's a woman. They're of the same kin, the same, um, the same people. So in a sense, sister. But my sister, my bride, you are a locked garden. A locked garden and a sealed spring. So again, we have this garden language. And that is, if you read Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is chock full of garden language. But the garden language largely has to do with toil, with work, and the sun, being under the sun. But here, we have a different kind of garden. We have a pure garden, a locked garden. Why is it locked? Well, the Garden of Eden had an angel placed at the entrance so that the descendants of Adam would not try to re-enter. But God says that his bride is a garden, a protected garden, a locked garden. Again, this is a picture of God's sovereign providence, of God's protection, of God's exclusivity in his covenant with the church. So she is a locked garden. And I cannot help but think of the book of Hosea. Chapter 2, verse 6. Backing up to verse 5 for context. Their mother is promiscuous. She conceived them and acted shamefully. Speaking of Israel. For she thought, I will follow my lovers, the men who give me my food and water, my wool and flax, my oil and drink. Therefore, says God, this is what I will do. I will block her way with thorns. I will enclose her within a wall so that she cannot find her paths. She will pursue her lovers, but not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. Then she will think, I will go back to my former husband, for then it was better for me than now. Furthermore, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Verse 13, Consider the work of God, for who can straighten out what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider, God has made the one as well as the other, so that no one can discover anything that will come after him. And that's a common theme in Ecclesiastes, that God has sovereignty 
kept us busy. Why that we can't make ourselves wiser than God, as if that were possible. But that God has hindered us from getting to the bottom of certain things. Because we are occupied with living under the sun. But when we read about a locked garden in Song of Solomon, this is a different connotation. This is not negative language. This is not This is not punishment. This is not like Hosea with I will place her within a wall. But this is God's sovereign protection. This is the exclusivity of God's relationship with his people. Um, 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 8 I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2 which I have come to the conclusion that the CSB translation has the record for the longest cross-reference on 1 Peter 2.8 or 2.9, I'm sorry but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light once you were not a people but now you are God's people. You would not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. And if you pull up the cross-references for first for first Peter 2.9, Isaiah, Deuteronomy, Hosea are all over that verse. Deuteronomy with the selection of Israel. <clears throat> Isaiah with Israel as God's possession. as well as with the proclamation of the deeds of God. But Hosea, in verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. That's, ver that's chapter 1 of Hosea right there, summarized. Once we were not God's people, but God has joined us to him through the gospel. He is made as his through the cross through the life death resurrection and ascension of Christ we have been made his to where we are a locked garden that we are secure in Christ verse 13 your branches are a paradise of pomegranates with choices fruits henna with nard nard and saffron calamus and cinnamon with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh, and aloes. With all those best spices, you are a garden spring, a well of flowing water streaming from Lebanon. In a, in a sense, God has clothed his bride in beauty. These gracious gifts of God are beautiful. God has, out of his love for his church, he hasn't just saved us, he hasn't just clothed us in beige garments, but he has clothed us in color, in beauty, in grace. 
The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, faithfulness, self-control. Against these things, there are no law. <clears throat> it says in Philippians, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, think on these things. Why? Because these things come from God. They flow out of his character. They flow out of his very heart. So when we are in union and communion with Christ, we are enveloped in the very heart of Christ. We are in the middle of a garden, and the garden is Christ. We are surrounded by him. <clears throat> he has made us his. He has placed his indelible mark upon us as his people, as his possession, as a holy priesthood and a chosen nation. Chosen for the glory of God before the foundations of the world. God shows us according to his love, according to his mercy, according to his goodness. To make us his, that we would feed among the lilies. That we would feed alongside him in his natural environment. That we are going back to the garden. And the cry of the woman in verse 16. Awaken, north wind. Come, south wind, blow on my garden, and spread the fragrance of its spices. Let my love come to his garden, and eat its choicest fruits. Let the wind spread the fragrance of what God has given. What God has clothed his people in. Love, joy, kindness, patience, goodness, faithfulness, self-control spread that fragrance that's evangelism that is the going forth of the message of Christ in the gospel to a lost world that is outside the garden and the, the final cry let my love come to his garden and eat his choicest fruits let us treasure this communion with God that was purchased for us by the blood of Christ for us that Christ has has died he has resurrected and he has ascended that he that he would present us to himself as a pure church without spot or wrinkle, but holy and blameless. Ponder these things in your heart, that God is dealing with you as his bride, as, his, as bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. Thank you for listening. This has been the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is a podcast ministry striving to feed people the wonderful words of God, book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, striving to let the Word speak for itself. 
This ministry is also a member of the Truth and Love Network, a diverse fellowship of fellow podcasts of different theological backgrounds united in the gospel of God. For more from the Bread of the Word podcast or the Truth and Love Network, check out the links below and follow us on social media. Until next time, God bless. Matthew 4.4.